0: You're listening to WERALP, Arlington, Virginia, 96.7 FM, streaming and on demand at WERA.FM. So you know that my hypothesis for this whole conversation was that we find ourselves in this awful place in the pandemic because important people have been incurious. Do you think that's a good hypothesis?
1: I think it is a good hypothesis, as in we weren't curious about the dimensions of how bad this pandemic could get. I think the lack of imagination, because oftentimes people can't imagine what they've never seen before, was very limiting because we have not seen anything like this pandemic in over 100 years. So whenever someone says a pandemic, you might as well say, aliens are coming because people just cannot imagine it and with that lack of imagination people did not want to realize the depth of how serious this could be
0: coming to you from arlington independent media i'm your host lynn borton and this is choose to be curious welcome this is a show all about curiosity we talk about research and theory but Mostly, it's conversations about how curiosity shows up in work and life. My guest today is Dr. Eric Feigl-Ding, known to my fellow Arlingtonians as a neighbor and friend, and more widely, as an epidemiologist and senior fellow at the Federation of American Scientists, and an early warning voice raising the alarm about COVID back in January 2020. Um, you were one of the first people, actually, that I remember anyway, saying, holy cow, something big is coming. What What first made you curious? And then what alarmed you that you were seeing, maybe that other people weren't seeing, or that other people weren't allowed allowing themselves to imagine what that might become?
1: Yeah, I think... Uh- I'm an epidemiologist, and there are many epidemiologists, and some of them are specialized in infectious disease more than I do on a regular basis. But I think, you know, I had my ear to the ground to what was happening in China because I had relatives there. And in certain ways, you know, you're looking for early signals of, hmm, is this as bad as it's being described? Is it worse than is being described in the media? And in terms of the exponential math, how bad could it get? Altogether, if you piece them together in a careful, thoughtful way, you realize this could, this has a potential to be very bad. The, the probability is non-zero. And this is one of those things that people really need to know. It's a non-zero chance. If that non-zero chance is true, it is exponentially, cataclysmically bad for the world, for the economy, for people's health and lives. You know, there were many, I will say there were many other people who were concerned. And, but in certain ways, many of them did not want to say what they're not absolutely
0: certain. Yeah,
1: Scientists are naturally curious, of course, but scientists are very hesitant to say and make declarations about things that this causes this until they're absolutely sure. And normally that is fine. But in here, in this situation, there's an existential risk of that. Maybe, you know, you should actually warn before it actually comes and you could be wrong, but the devastating consequences are much worse. If you don't speak. Yeah. And in that kind of lens, I decided, you know, you know I, I was uh, already leaving. I've been at Harvard for 16 years, but I was leaving Harvard uh, soon, and I had nothing to lose. And I work in public policy and politics now, and in certain realms, those people are the people who need to hear. The lay public are the people who need to hear, not the academic whispers, and hence There were many people who thought it could be bad, but I was trying to see around the corner. And I've I've seen these kind of situations before uh, because I've been a whistleblower of other things many years ago and uh, before. And it scared me then, but I didn't act sometimes. Uh, But Mm. I realize now we have to just make a declaration in in a way that the lay public hears it and acts. And, you know, I got a lot of hate early on in January when I said this could be a thermonuclear level bad pandemic. But, well, here we are.
0: I want to pick up on something you said about sort of being more in the public life now and not only scientists being cautious because they're kind of looking for new data, but elected officials and politicians being cautious as well. And you ran for Congress in 2018, Correct. Because of science, right? Tell us, tell me about that.
1: Yeah, I, a scientist's natural process in the world of in making influence is you do your science, you publish research that informs the world, informs public policy of this is what evidence says we should do, whether it's clean water, air pollution, climate change, nutrition and public health. These are the things that will save people's lives. I think as a scientist, that entire mechanism is actually how science normally should work, that we do research, we publish it into the air, and policy leaders use it to improve our life, improve our world. But that didn't matter anymore. And I realized that entire system, as a scientist, we need to do more than just publish into the air. We need to actually get involved. Because without mm-hmm. political power and leverage, you're not ever going to influence policy with science. And we've seen that so many times. And so I ran for Congress as a science candidate. You know, politics is obviously a very uncertain, bumpy path. But I want to do it uh, because there's so few scientists who want to get out of the nonpartisan academia lane and into the the rough and tumble world of politics, where decisions are actually made in the real world.
0: Well, we've definitely seen the the politicization and the scientists and politicians sort of aligning themselves with an ideology. I guess that's not a new thing in human history, but it makes me think about also sort of the importance of curiosity driven research. As they're looking at vaccines, they're curious about approaching it from a whole myriad of ways. I wonder as you look at all of that unfolding, you know, what you make of that, whether you think, in fact, the people who are doing the research now are as curious as they can be, or...
1: I had a very normal childhood. Before I became obsessed with and curious about public health, I played a lot of video games until I was diagnosed with a baseball-sized tumor in my chest. Yeah. And the doctors originally gave me less than five years to live. Um, I had a surgery. I survived. I lost a piece of my lung, my (laughs) thymus, and part of my heart. But it made me really appreciate the world and it made me appreciate the risks and uncertainty in this world and I you know my life was I was given a second chance at life and I became immensely passionate and curious about the world and I went through undergrad and Hopkins and then did my dual doctorate at Harvard in two and a half years so I finished when I was 23 years old with my doctor in epidemiology and doctor in nutrition, you know it was it was a hunger and mm-hmm. a hunger for curiosity, I guess. And you know, I, my original training was in cancer and diabetes epidemiology, and so much of what we saw, in for example, with the drug Biox, I I was a whistleblower in that many years ago because I family members suffering, and then there were huge numbers of reports of people getting sick and dying from it. You know, I had the skill set to investigate this. And many other people did too, but I felt like it was my obligation, you know, ever since my second chance of life, to use my talents to pursue these inquisitions that people weren't exactly looking into. And hence, we reported and discovered that Merck knew the risks, that not only did the drug biox cause uh, arrhythmia and kidney damage, but also that they knew the risks many, many years ago. But no one had dug it up and systematically pinpointed that they knew that the evidence was all there. And it was just, you know, I was very young. I was actually only 22 when that happened when this whistleblowing kind of thing happened.
0: I hadn't put that math together. You really were young.
1: Yeah, I was, you know, life gave me a second chance and I didn't want to waste another second on it. And so I decided to jump into the deep end with these investigations, especially since so many people were taking this drug at the time. And in certain ways, it taught me that you could change the world by being a little bit curious about... This strange trickle of data that's coming out—that trickles of data, these breadcrumbs could actually lead to something more impactful. And so I think uh, that taught me a lesson early on that uh, we could make a difference if we followed the breadcrumbs and the data trails. I was really frustrated that people weren't following the vice of cancer prevention. Like, we there's other times we knew how to prevent cancer and a lot of chronic diseases. But the problem wasn't the knowledge. It was that people weren't doing it. So I was actually curious and gotten to build a cancer campaign of how do we actually influence the public on that? And so that's a whole different saga.
0: (laughs) I know. That's a whole other conversation in and of itself. What, you know, I harvest what I call curiosity practices. You know what are the things that people do that they think sort of help build their curiosity muscle and I'm wondering if there are curiosity practices that you wish politicians, policymakers, decision makers would adopt in general. It doesn't have to specifically be about COVID, obviously that's our our crisis of the moment, our concern of the moment. But if they were, if they were flexing their curiosity muscle, what kinds of habits and practices would you like to see them adopt?
1: I think obviously there's COVID is this thing that's swallowing the world right now. Yeah. You know, everyone has blind spots and there's lots of science emerging But I think one of the things that they need to investigate a little bit more is, um, you know, the vaccines are looking great, 90%, 90, 95% effective.
0: Yeah, that's exciting.
1: There's a saying, it's not vaccines that save people's lives. It's vaccine programs that ensure Mm. people get the vaccines that ultimately save their lives and, and stop the pandemic. And in certain ways, that's really the problem because... Polls show one third of the people in the US say they'll take it, one third say maybe, and whole one third say no, they will not take the vaccine. And you could have a 100% effective vaccine, but if one third to one half the people don't take it, you effectively have a 50 to 66% effective vaccine. And that is just not enough to truly, truly stop this or stop it quickly enough. And so I think there's the blind spots of, we need to be a little bit more creative, and this is where it goes beyond just basic science of how do we, as policymakers, ensure that this is the, this is the crisis around the corner in 2021. The crisis in the corner is how do we ensure everyone takes the vaccine? Because I am really worried that with all the misinformation out there, all the vaccine skepticism, Uh, out there, and this uncertainty about trusting the vaccine because, oh, normally it takes years. How did we get one so quickly? Even though it was science, dedicated hard work in science, that people won't immediately take it, and this will be actually terribly, terribly horrible. And I don't think we have enough of that strategy built out. And this is where public policy leaders, politicians need to really come together. Stop the mask fighting, science fighting. And I'm not even going to go there right now because the science around masks is actually quite strong. Granted, you know, premium masks work better than cloth masks, but cloth masks do still work. But this, cloth, this mask war is actually a preview of the vaccine war that's coming. And I don't think politicians have been curious enough and and, you know, have enough foresight right now to see around the corner. I think curiosity is is a, you know, there's the breadcrumb, all the breadcrumb curiosity, but there's also curiosity in terms of foresight, of need to be curious of what's around the corner. And what's around the corner is this next Armageddon of not just mask wars, but also vaccines and, and all the herd immunity approaches of people trying to just infect everyone else, uh, trying to which is incredibly irresponsible. I think that is the crisis and issues that politicians need to see, that you know, ultimately they're fighting now about certain things. But this fight will actually dovetail into another fight in science denial. And again, that will ultimately kill more people. When if people don't take math, if math seriously still and don't take their vaccine seriously still. That's what I'm really worried about.
0: Yeah. If ordinary citizens, politicians, whomever, are curious about COVID, where do you think are best places for lay people to go for information?
1: Mm. That's a very interesting question. Normally, in normal times, I would say go to the CDC. Go to the WHO for public health advice, and that is, I would say, ninety-nine percent always follow that rule. But until the problem is, of course, the CDC gets politicized, muzzled, right. and censored, as we've seen. Because CDC wanted to issue guidelines against choir singing in churches, that was muzzled. They they wanted to raise the alarm about meatpacking factories, that was muzzled. Uh, they wanted to raise the alarm earlier about aerosol airborne transmission. That was muzzled for quite a while, and um, it's it's tricky. And you know, social media has a great powers, but it also has great dangers, because if you dive into some of the misinformation networks, they will try to tell you your masks don't work.
0: Yeah, so that's why I'm asking, where should they go?
1: Yeah, I, I would say I would say it's a combination of public health leaders and academics, Mm -hmm. um, you want to basically, look, the part of being curious is you want to piece together good evidence and discard the bad. Discard the noise, find the signals, right? That's that's the entire process of finding good data and being curious in a thoughtful way. Because being curious also, of course, has a double-edged sword. You could fall into conspiracy theories. And that's oftentimes people who started curious Went down the wrong rabbit hole of these conspiracy theories and create too many theories. I would say it's a combination of where does academics leaders align and political policy leaders align. And if, if you see agreement on that, I think for most part it's trustworthy. But at the same time, if you know you have political leaders like masks, there's many states in which Political leaders say masks don't work, but clearly that disagrees with academia and disagrees with CDC. In those situations, I would say go with the CDC and almost always go with CDC and almost always go with the scientific leaders. And right now, especially during the pandemic, I would say these public health leaders, whether they're former public health leaders, academic scientists, I think they're really at the forefront of what we really need to do such as mass testing, rapid antigen testing, and the strategies around how to do that, even though the CDC and the FDA has not formally adopted it yet. So I, I always try to be at, have my listening ears on many different dimensions of these academia and public
0: policy. Uh, great, great advice. Well, before I let you go, are you game for my big jar of wannabe analogies here? Sure, go for it. Okay. All right. So I have this jar, literally a jar, and I have slips of paper inside. And I'm taking out one for you, one for me, one for our audience. And we're going to make an analogy to curiosity with whatever is written on these pieces of paper. So yours is hiking. How is curiosity like hiking? Mine is a garden. How is curiosity like a garden? And then we'll have one for the audience in a moment. So, do you want to go first? Or do you want me to go? I'm
1: uh, sure you can go first.
0: Okay. So, let's see. How is curiosity like a garden? I would say that curiosity is like a garden um, because there are things that you cultivate that grow in it, and there are also things that sort of volunteer into it that that you didn't know that you were curious about, but that will uh, that will grow and blossom in that. Soil, and um, as my dad says, a weed is just a plant in the wrong place. And so, things that might seem to be weeds might turn out to be actually wonderful things that you're genuinely, genuinely curious about. So, I think they're the same in that they're places where things grow. Mm-hmm. How about you? How is curiosity like hiking?
1: Well, hiking—you're oftentimes hiking a trail if there is a trail, or sometimes you're hiking in a wilderness without any trail, but you. The, the path you follow, you oftentimes try to see, hmm, where's the sound of the river? Where's the river going? Right? Nice. Or where are the birds flying to? And, you know, which way is um, downhill? And where are, you know, if you're trying to find sources of water, where is all the st- small creeks flowing? You, you basically, it's like following breadcrumbs and finding signs and signals in nature of where it takes you. And oftentimes on the trail, there's lots of ma- many wondrous things that's on the side of the trail and that it's not marked, right? These many trails have many amazing things that's not marked. And I feel like being curious is not just, you know, following the main road in life, but also look at the side of the road, look for signals, look for where things are pointing and where things are, uh, You know, if a whole bunch of animals are suddenly stampeding away from a direction, you should probably (laughs) take that as a signal that something is coming from that direction and you should take prepare. And this is part of looking around the corner and being curious of nature or any uh, sign in the world. It's always about trying to find the signals from the noise. And same in many things in life. As you walk the trail of life, you're going to see many signals, many interesting things that you should maybe follow and listen to carefully instead of just merely following and walking the trail
0: idly. Very nice. So says the epidemiologist, huh? Yeah. Uh, very nice, very nice. And audience, yours is beanbag. How is curiosity like a beanbag? Let me know. Facebook, Twitter, hashtag analogy. Well, Eric, this has been great. But before one more, before I let you go, this is WERA's fifth anniversary, and we are in the midst of our annual fund drive. And I actually first got to know you through your engagement with Arlington Independent Media. And I remember that one of the things that you said to me was how important independent media was when you were trying to get people to pay attention to a story. And I just wondered if you could just sort of speak to the importance of having something like AIM and WERA in the community.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It was a pleasure being board member at uh, Arlington Independent Media, what I think really, really got to me was early on when I was trying to follow the trail of information on the Vioxx, there was not many people who listened, um, not many people who paid attention, but those who were kind of curious enough about these unusual signals were those in the independent media. Because the mainstream media was chasing only the big reports, big news cycles. But in terms of following the unusual trickle of information, it was a lot of independent media who actually supported me. And, and you know, I found an audience with early on that I could share my concerns with. And I think that is just so key and important. Because I think there's really good data, really good evidence, really good signals and stories coming from many, many different sources in life. I'm not, you know, trying to say uh, all of them are good because sometimes there's conspiracy theories that are just completely unfounded. But I feel like finding good stories, nuggets, evidence, oftentimes require the openness of independent media that are not controlled by, say. Sinclair Broadcasting or Fox and Rupert Murdoch's of the world. So I think the more voices in media, the better. And the more ways we can express ourselves, I think that's also really good for the world. Especially when the world right now is so diverse. So I think independent media has this enormous role. I'm so proud to have been part of AIM and WERA.
0: And that's my cue to ask you to step up and support this vital source of independent media with a tax-deductible contribution at ArlingtonMedia.org. That's ArlingtonMedia.org. Thank you. You've been listening to WERA 96.7 FM. Find us online at WERA.FM, where you can also make a donation, I might add. You can find this and all my previous episodes on podcast and social media at Choose To Be Curious and on my website at ChooseToBeCurious.com. I hope you'll follow me there and on Twitter at Choose Number Two, Letter B, Curious. Don't forget to send us your beanbag analogy, Facebook and Twitter, hashtag analogy. Many thanks to my esteemed and very busy guest, Dr. Eric Feigel-Ding. Find him on Twitter at Dr. Eric Ding. Our theme and other music are by Sean Ballack. I hope you'll join us again next time. And until then, choose to be curious.
1: I want everyone to stay safe. And I want everyone to have have a big imagination of, you know, and not just be selfish around the holidays, to really think forward. If we gather for the holidays and we're not careful. And we could actually endanger thousands and thousands of people after the holidays are over. And so it's that lack of imagination that many people have that they don't think about the consequences. And I think for protecting ourselves in our community and our broader country and world, we should think about how personal responsibility is like this butterfly that could actually impact huge numbers of people during a pandemic. So I want everyone to not just wear masks but also think about social gatherings to be careful or avoid them because really our, it's not just ourselves but our children's future. Um, I think that's the only thing I want to, my parting words I guess, think of the kids, think of the consequences of our actions.
0: Funding for Choose to be Curious is provided in part by Concentric Private Wealth, where changemakers develop clarity for today and confidence for tomorrow by centering on what matters most, which involves more than just money. More information at www.concentricpw.com. Advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, a registered investment advisor. Choose to be curious is sponsored in part by Realtor Christine Hopkins. Curious about real estate? Christine works with clients from around the world, using her time and knowledge to build community. As she likes to say, community engagement has always been my big why. Working in real estate has helped me express that. What makes you part of a community more than living there? For more information, visit facebook.com/Novahousehunter. Funding for Choose to be Curious on WERA 96.7 FM is provided in part by the Center for Parents and Teens, where families are strengthened through a connection built through positive communication, mutual understanding, and realistic expectations of one another. For more information, visit www.centerforparentsandteens.com.